Welcome, guys. It's your favorite football show, the Clean Tackles Podcast. I'm your host, Chike, and with the crew today, we'll be talking about Arsenal's big win over Liverpool and if Alison Becker should be arrested for his performance. Uh, we'll also be talking about the Super Eagles win in the quarterfinals of the AFCON, and we'll be previewing the semi final with our big rival, South Africa. And then we'll take a look at three managers who are on the hot seat. Uh, we're recording this on the 4th of February. This is just a little bit past 9pm, 9.09 to be exact. Uh, it's a few days after the close of the winter transfer window. Uh, there wasn't much movement in this window. In fact, the biggest movement by far wasn't even the football transfer. It was in the Formula 1 world where it was announced that seven-time champion Lewis Hamilton was leaving Mercedes for Ferrari. Now, Dutton, I know you're a big F1 fan, but for the sake of some of our listeners who aren't F1 fans, can you explain this in football terms and also give us a few thoughts on this huge move? <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, in football terms, it's tricky. And it's tricky because uh, I, I, I don't want to believe that the rivalry in Formula 1 is as intense uh, as that of football. But basically what's happened is... Um, it's not exactly figo to real madrid it's something oh. of a lighter note is more of um say an ashley cole to chelsea or a nashry to man city something in that line right Van where Persie to Manchester united you, you you can call it that as well <laughs> so um i, I, I think growing up f4 um ferrari used to be the team um to beat mostly because of um, um schumacher and a lot of that, right? But in recent years, we've seen um, other constructors come up with um, big innovations and win the um, constructors um, championship. Teams like um, Red Bull, teams like Mercedes, teams like McLaren, and and all of that, right? So um, in the last two years, Hamilton has given a lot of. I mean, since the Abu Dhabi episode, twenty twenty one. Amazon has given a lot of excuses about his car, they've tried new things, they failed, and, and all of that. But one thing that's been constant in the last two years has been Leclerc, uh, that is um, for, um, Ferrari's leading driver. And Carlos Sainz has always been in and around the picture, showing that Ferrari know, uh, they seem to know what they're doing in terms of their car construction and um, strategy, tactics, and all of that to win races, right? Obviously, they cannot cope with. Max Verstappen, but then again, um, in as much as good cars help, the driver also matters a lot. So basically, what's happened is um, the Hamilton has switched camp for the next year, and uh, it's going over to Ferrari. And uh, it'll be really poetic if <laughs> Hamilton manages to win another championship to make it a record eight using um, Mickey Schumacher's team. Um, I saw news that um, the major influence of the move. Was the fact that um, Hamilton wanted um, an ambassador deal with Mercedes, um, same um, earn extra, a ten-year ambassador deal, basically, right? Um, was going to drive mm -hmm. for one more year and end in twenty twenty-five and be an ambassador to twenty thirty-five. And while Mercedes was stalling, Ferrari puts the exact same offer on the table, so that's what pays him. I mean, after he's done driving, he's still going to make some some cool cash, by the way. So um, it's interesting to see. Um, I'm surprised that. Ferrari dropped Carlos Sainz. I thought that they would not want um, two leading drivers 
the same way Mercedes had uh, Russell George and and Lisa Metin last year. Um, if you have two very good drivers, sometimes they tend to get into each other's wheel and, and, and all of that. So I thought they would have done Hamilton and Carlos Sainz. But all well and good, we'll see what they have in store for us. I think it still has a, a last season with Mercedes. So we'll see how that goes. And I, I think everybody is a, is a, is a Lisa Metin fan. So we hope that he comes back and wins um, one more one more championship race. Yeah. Yeah, well said, and thanks for that breakdown. Bayo is also here today. Bayo, how has Lagos been this past week? And what is up with this nasty Hamatan that simply doesn't want to leave? Oh, well, funny enough, I love Hamatan. No? Like, I wish it could be this. I, I wish it could be like this all year round. Um, it certainly beats the the um, I, do I call it demonic heat that we experienced uh, in the first uh, six or so weeks of the year. You know. Uh, how is Lagos? I wouldn't know. Uh, the last time I tried to, last time I tried to go to work, I used about I used about two hours along the, it was up for a for a stretch of road that should have taken me about twenty minutes to get past. So, uh, <laughs> I've been pretty much indoors uh, this week anyway. But yeah, other than that, good, 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 good to good to be on podcast again. All right. Um. So we'll actually start this week's pod not with a game, but um something I mentioned while talking to Dutton. So, uh, this past window in the Premier League it was quite quiet. Um, in fact, um, uh, it was the lowest pending that the EPL had had in I believe twelve years. It was a twelve-year low. Uh, the clubs, the twenty clubs, spent a combined well, I think it was ninety-seven million pounds thereabouts and compared to 843 that was spent 12 months ago exactly a year ago that saw you know those big players like enzo coming through the door right um this is the lowest like i said since the 2011 2012 season where we spent 60 and league R of all leagues league R outspent the premier league they spent 162 million i know leon was one of the biggest spenders they brought in seven new players and that was of course because uh, they've been battling relegation and all that so they had calls to reinforce the team this window but yeah the premier league uh there was very little movement from the teams um bio what would you attribute this this to um well by and large all the reports say that this is uh due to the premier league's newfound zeal to implement the uh profitability and sustainability rules right where you know clubs are supposed to stay within a certain threshold of their revenues over over a three-year period of time and ever since um ever since everything got the 10-point deduction which they are appealing of course and news has come out that they are also facing a second charge along with nottingham forest for uh, spending above the psr limit so other clubs are really trying to stay within these limits as well and will likely keep their powder dry in terms of transfer till the summer. Um, so yeah, that's what it comes down to at the end of the deal. At least that's what these clubs will, ha- will have us believe. Yeah, Bayer, um, I think I agree with you. The 10-point deduction handed to Everton, I think it seems to scare every- everyone. And it's like um, everyone has to be on their best behavior now regarding um the spendings i also think there are like two other things in play i read somewhere that the epl 
still owes over two billion pounds in installments, uh, instrumental payments to other teams. And I know you're like record spending in the summer, so it's not like there's much need for most clubs right now. I think everyone is stacked. And I think there's also the fact that the Saudis haven't been spending much this window as well, because for most EPL teams last season or the last window before this, that was a summer window, uh, they were somewhat over-reliant on the money coming in from you know, the Middle East. So I think there's that ripple effect of them not spending and there not being enough money for the Premier League teams to spend. So I think it's just a mixture of things. Like um, I, in, I also think that um, historically, um, hmm. clubs that spend in January, spending in January in the Premier League is largely driven by clubs who still have something to fight for, right? Like clubs have clubs battling relegation. So last season, we saw Southampton go on this plunge in January. Um, same for Bournemouth, right? Um, yeah, and then obviously Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea went on some splurges. Uh, they went on a splurge in January as well. Um, so yeah, I I, I I get what you're saying uh, in terms of instrumental payments and things like that. But I think what what usually determines you know what if uh, if you can do for that transfer spending is is the amount of cash you have. Right. Uh, I think Premier League clubs still have cash one way or the other. Even a club like Man United who has like a revolving credit facility. Okay. Um, um mentioned uh, one second, JK. I'm, I'm okay. just very surprised that both of you did not mention the fact that um Tinubu's economy has gotten to everybody, man. <laughs> yeah, man, I mean APC is not um this government, is, borders, man. this government is, is touching everyone. Eating is everybody's pocket. <laughs> we cannot spend the money to spend before. That's just the simple very, explanation. Very true. Very true. That's, that's just the summary of what we've been saying. <laughs> um, Bayer just touched on something. Uh, he talked about Luton Town and how they, they didn't spend much. And you know, he mentioned a bit of uh, their good form. Um, Dutton, they've been on his current spree, you know. They have scored eight goals in the last two games. And in fact, the last Premier League team to stop them from scoring was Manchester United, whom they actually outscored in the league this season, which is, you know, very strange to say. I mean, coming into this season, nobody would have thought that halfway through the season, Luton Town would have outscored Manchester United. But, I mean, here we are. Uh, they drew with Newcastle on Saturday. It was, it was an eight-goal thriller, 4-4. Four, four. Now there's space for Alfie Doughty. Fabian Scher racing along to try and close the angle. Doughty's got space. Space for Ross Barkley. Adebayo wants it, nudged onto him, finds Elijah Adebayo. Eight goals in a week, four of them through Elijah Adebayo. What a performance once again from the Hatters. A devastating counter. Uh, they are currently 16th on the table, one point above the drop zone and one game in hand over all three teams currently in the bottom three. Uh, Dodun, how impressed have you been with them this season? Uh, and how do you expect them to use this scoring form as a foundation for their survival? Okay, so um, first, <laughs> so first is first, right? Um, uh, there's this popular saying that um, a man on the floor fears no fall. And it's evident with a lot of the relegation candidates, apart from the obvious uh, Sheffield United, 
Um, we saw Lutin go down 1-0 and 2-1 um, yesterday and for a long time it was 4-4 and they still did not concede the goal down that made sure that they left St. James's Park with 0 points. Right, mm. there's no need to talk about Forest and uh, um, Everton and Bonnie that will come later on if need be and all of that. But what what Luton have basically done is they know that they're in for a scrap and they know that whether they play good or bad, they'll be in that scrap. So they might as well just give it a go. And that's what they've been doing ever since. Um, I, I looked at the lineup yesterday against Newcastle. Against Newcastle, who, who, um, a lot of people regard as one of the meanest defenses in the league. I mean, granted, they have the number one goalkeeper out and all of that. But if you look at the team that Luton put out yesterday, there was Elijah Adebayo, um, Carlton Morris, as well as Judas mm-hmm. Bennett up front. Uh, it's not the best attack on paper. Well, that's three strikers or three forward players. Um, and you still have players like Ross Barkley, players like Alfie Doughty, uh, that, that can always come up and uh, join the attack and all of that. So it's... They're going for it. It's impressive to... I mean, it's very, very courageous, right? Um, a lot of people feel like at this stage of the season, what you should do is um, keep it at the back, make sure you don't concede silly goals, make sure that you grind out strong one zero wins and all of that but I, I kind of feel like this method will pay off more because the fact that uh maybe it's because of the system so you know it's that uh, three for three system where on yeah. the ball you have three off the ball you have five so they're, yeah, they're useful yeah. in both phases of, of play and all of that so i think it's a good one for them especially their home form so your stadium is really small and because of the size of the stadium, they've mastered the um, set pieces in that stadium, corner kicks, free kicks, and all of that. There are always good chances for them, and they have people that can deliver um, quality crosses into the box as well. So, um, if I was in and around the relegation zone, I'd be worried. Uh, like all of us said, uh, I think Sheffield is gone. Oh, um, I think Bolly are gone as well. Um, so, I'm rooting for Everton. I'm rooting for Luton. Maybe, maybe not. I've not pitched my tent. I'm sitting on the fence with them. I don't care about Bournemouth. I don't care about... Uh, Bournemouth should even be like 12 or 13, but I don't care about Forest. <laughs> um, you know, another thing is um, form. So, right now, Luton is a very, very good form. Um, they're picking points here and there and all of that. Um, I think we have 16 or 15 games left. At one point, they'll get into a rut again. Right, so they need to make sure that they pick up as much points as possible. That will make sure that whenever they go into their rut, it's not going to be a dire situation for them. You get? Yeah, yeah. Well said. Well said. I think I absolutely agree with you. Um, on to the game of the weekend: Arsenal three, Liverpool one. Skill by Trossard. Off he goes, Leandro Trossard, at speed. Oh, it's in! They lead 3-1 and it's Trossard's goal. Absolutely wild seeds on the touchline. Mikel Arteta celebrating with the fans. And Arsenal with a huge three points. Um, Arsenal handed Liverpool their first domestic defeat since September uh, in a game where Alisson simply did not cover himself with glory. Uh, I mean, the second and third goals were just abysmal to concede, even though I've been seeing a lot of um, blame going Virgil van Dijk's way. But personally, I feel like he's been um, 
he was at fault for both goals. Uh, and this was yet another positive result for Mikel Arteta against the big side. Of course, he's picked up wins against Manchester City, um, Chelsea. No, it was a 2-2 draw with Chelsea. Uh, but Manchester City, Man United, uh, drew with Spurs. But you know, they're sticking four points off Liverpool now. Um, what, Dotu, back to you. What are your thoughts on... Michael Cheta and the maturity he has shown in these types of games this season. Yeah, well, I like to think that it's um, it's part of their growth curve. Yeah? Um, if you look at the way they played last season, you know that uh, they they grown a lot. The way they played last season, um, did are they fully matured? Not yet, but I think they've also added the uh, leaps and bounds to what they did last season. Um, games against big teams. Yeah, you can also say that as well. I think uh, they've managed to make um, they've managed to make their home a fortress, right? Especially in the big games. Um, I don't know, maybe it's because of Atatas based. Um, it has this way of carrying the crowd along. The Emirates is a lot more lively than it used to be four or five years ago, and, and all of that. People coming to the stadium will hope. People actually believe nowadays. You know, before it's more of a Let's hope and see. Now it's we should be winning this game. So I think first things first. Like we said, um, after the after the committee shield, there is there's been a mental um, shift uh, in the way that Arsenal players approach games. Nowadays they're going to a lot of games, even against difficult opponents, thinking that they can win. So um, it's good. It's a it's a very very good one for them. I mean, nowadays everybody knows that they're danger men, so people try to. Um, to double on them, so you leave you shot in other parts of the field and, and all of that. So it's mostly they have good ball rotation, they have good intensity, very very physical as well. Especially that, uh, should I say that back five uh, of uh, okay, <laughs> the back five minus Zinchenko, um, <laughs> Rice, Rice, Saliba, Gabriel, and White. So they are one-on-one monsters. They are dual monsters and, and, and all of that. Jorginho and Zinchenko might not be the best in one-on-one, uh, but but what they do is both of them are... <laughs> I might be exaggerating here, but both of them are what I like to call cerebral players. Right? They try to read the opponent's next move and try to intercept instead of getting into the one-on-ones. Obviously because they know that they're not the best in the one-on-ones and, and, and all of that. So it kind of helps them knowing that, okay, going back, we are solid, we are strong. I think they've considered probably the least goals in the league, probably the least XG as well. So it's not just that they are getting lucky, they are also giving their opponents very, very little to work with. I'd say that uh, Liverpool could only create their points for something XG today. And considering the type of players that Liverpool have, considering the type of way that they play, considering the type of manager that they have as well, I, I think that's very disappointing from them. But it's not all they're doing. I think Arsenal forced them to play that particular. So it's props to Ateta for making people believe first, and also props to the player for actually the players for actually carrying out uh, game plans. I, I remember this. Um, I think it was three years ago where Ateta brought out um, speakers to the training ground, saying that Liverpool Stadium is noisy, is this, is that. Um, he wants to get his players into the right shape of mind for Anfield. And obviously they lost that game for zero, but since then they've played four games in the league. They've played four games in the last two seasons against Ars- against Liverpool in the league. They've drawn the two at Anfield. They've won the two at Emirates. So it just goes to show how far they've grown um, 
as a team at that stage it's easy for the team to drop their heads and say oh we practice for this and we still got beat 4-0 but if you believe your if you believe um, your process you believe what the manager is trying to do you know that oh, setbacks don't necessarily mean that it's a bad plan it just means that you still need to put a little more in terms of execution and all of that so yeah it's a very, very, very good one for them. Um, they managed to sneak back into that race. Uh, I think the second on the table now, even though City have a couple of games in hand. and, and all of that. But like I said, it's good for them. It's good for, for growth. I mean, ultimately, they still have to go to the Etihad and consider <laughs> they had the game against City where that at, um, at the Emirates, you expect um, City to knock at the door properly. I mean, it depends on what's going to happen. It depends on positions at that point in time. City might be in a position where a draw will be good enough for them. So they'll just try and waste everybody's time and do this, their hide the ball tactics and, and all of that. But again, that will just go to show that a lot of people read Arsenal a lot more than we used to do three, four years ago. Yeah. All right. Um, over to Old Trafford, Manchester United. Three, West Ham, zero. Always lost out. Mistake by Phillips, McTominay's onto it. McTominay, Garnacho to finish it. A nightmare for Phillips. McTominay, Garnacho, 3 0, and game over. Uh, Manchester United continued their own scoring streak um, after their eight goals in the last two games. They scored three this time around. Uh, Garnacho hit a brace while Rasmus Hoyland also maintained his fine scoring form. He scored a goal, it was his 21st birthday. Um, they were, I mean, we've seen the return of a few key players to Manchester United, and this has seen the results get a lot better. Uh, maybe not so much the performance per se, because they've been a bit shaky, especially in the last two games where they've given up their two goal leads. The, the approach to the final third has been a lot better with Luke Shaw and Rashford down that left. Uh, by what are your thoughts on this front three of Rashford, Garnacho, and Hoyland that seems to be clicking? And also, uh, Lisandro Martinez was taken off in what seems to be a pretty serious injury. I mean, he might be out for a few weeks or a few months, depending on how serious it is. Um, first off, what are your thoughts on the front three of Rashford, Garnacho, and Hoyland? And then, secondly, uh, how impactful do you think Martinez's injury is going to be for the club? So, if you remember, when, when we first started the season, I think one of the questions you asked was if you, if Boylan could be the striker that United needed to take them to the next level or to score the number of required goals and so on. And I think we, we talked about how the, the issue wasn't the, the, the likely um, determinant of that would be how, how consistently and likely um, his United team is were able to get the ball to him um, in the required areas, right? Um, so, so that that hasn't exactly happened, even though he's, he's coming to a purple patch of form uh, recently. Um, I think he scored he scored ten goals overall um, so far this season and in his United career, and I believe. Of, of those 10, about five, um, you know, for five of those goals, he wasn't assisted by any of his United teammates, right? They were maybe self-generated shots or rebounds or you know, things like that. 
So I think the same issues persist, but I think just like I said, you know how they say for strikers goes and I catch up, you know, when you turn the catch up bottle upside down and you're trying to get you know, you're trying to get it to come out come out onto your plate or something and it doesn't and then when you tap it and more than you intended to comes out, right? So um I think it's just I think it's just um So I think he's he's coming to a good vein of form and he's showing what he can he's showing what he can possibly do um you know with better service with more reliable service from his teammates I think Ganacho has also done well on the right wing um you know considering that's my place that anybody uh, saw him at the beginning of the season nobody would have seen him um you know right. playing yeah. playing on that side but he's done pretty well um, he carries the ball well he's a threat he scored two good goals today. Um, but overall, in terms of my assessment of front three, I still think that uh, United are too direct. They don't sustain pressure enough. Um, the and that that all translates into the quality of chances that they are able to create to create for each other. Take today for example, United had twelve shots versus West Ham's twenty-two, and West Ham had approaching double the expected goals that you know Manchester United put up in this game. So while like you said results have improved, um I think for this for Manchester United <clears throat> for Manchester United to be considered a really top team um you know in this league um they need to I think that there are certain tactical elements they need to work out still uh cont controlling the ball uh rather control yeah Maintaining control of possession, um, you know, fixing, not being so susceptible to counter-attacks and being able to sustain pressure in the final third. Um, I think if they're able to do these things, um, the front three will see more of the ball and probably hot opposition. But I still think, I think there's potential there, but I don't think this, I don't think this is the final form yet. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, in terms of how in terms of you know, uh, you, the the potential impact of the Martinez injury, our the minute the minute I saw the replay of how Sufal uh, <clears throat> landed on his landed on his standing leg and the way he bent, I immediately felt the worst. Um, don't forget, it was a similar injury Kobe Mainu sustained in preseason when Casemiro pushed um, Rodrigo into him. And Rodrigo also landed on his standing leg and you know made it bend in an awkward angle. An awkward angle. Also, if you remember Juren Timba during the first game of the season uh, against Forest, um, he also landed innocuously, who appeared to be you know, an, an innocuous fall. And he got up and you know played more for a few minutes before he had to go off, only for it to come out that you know he had damaged his anterior cruciate ligament. So we don't have a diagnosis yet, but I wouldn't be shocked if the say if you know Martinez has suffered something similar. And to talk about the potential impact of the injury, you just need to go by Ten Hag himself. The man has talked all season about how he doesn't have his first choice players in defense, and you know he talks as if without Martinez they can't progress the ball out of the back line, right? Uh, so like that that aspect of the team's play is like almost practically dependent on him. And to some extent, Luke Shaw as well. Um, so yeah, I think that that will be the primary. That that will probably be the primary thing. Um, 
But if we're being serious, United should have enough in their backline to cope between Maguire, Baran, right, uh, Lindelof. Uh, those are not bad defenders. They may not be the best centre back pairings you might, you know, you you will see right uh, these days. But if there's enough experience, there's enough quality there that if Manchester United were dominating games in the way they should, uh, that those available defenders should be able to carry them to their objectives this season. Um, over to Stamford Bridge, Chelsea two, Wolves four. Here goes Cunha, down the left-hand side, Gusto pulling at him, and he penalty. brings him down, is that a penalty? Yes it is! Mateus Cunha, a couple of steps to his left-hand side, a pause, sends the keeper the wrong way! Mateus Cunha has three, Wolves have four! Uh, Mateus Cunha, he's called a hat-trick for Wolves, and to be honest, I, I wasn't even aware that Wolves players were allowed to score hat-tricks, uh, but I guess that just how bad Chelsea were. Um, there, there are a lot of fans that were angry at this result. Um, in fact, we got a tweet from a very dedicated listener of the show, Sly. Shout out to Sly. I've known Sly for over 20 years now. Uh, we go all the way back to Josh, where we both grew up. Uh, but Sly is a Manchester United fan, so this isn't even coming from a place of anger. Um, anyway, he's surprised that members of this pod rate uh, Pochettino highly in terms of his tactics and personally you know I, I rate him highly myself um, he's pretty much in line with what Dutton always says about having credit in the bank I mean during his time with Spurs I believe was it five six six year period and I, I believe um, Pochettino really proved himself in that period and even before that we saw him at Southampton and even Espanol where he saved both sides from um, relegation so um, personally I think it to be unfair to judge him as a manager based off of just uh, five months, five bad months at Chelsea. But I do admit that he can be doing a lot better. I know he's been dealt a very bad hand. Um, this is something that we discussed right from the very first episode of this pod. We knew that the the huge amount of um, changes in player personnel was going to have an if, if, a bad effect on the squad. I know Shola uh, famously predicted that... Um, Things were going to get a bit better in the second half, but um, the first half was going to be very tricky. And when you look at these players, they weren't just like good players at the peak of their powers. These were very young players, lots of teenagers, 20-year-old, 21-year-old, 22-year-olds, very young players are coming in, right? And so this was always going to happen. But I guess the fact that there are no signs of a future improvement, I think that will get the 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 fan base angry. Anyway, uh, Dotun, what are your thoughts on the Poch situation at Chelsea? Do you think the 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 anger towards him have been justified? Uh, or do you think um, the board should be getting a large chunk of, or the, the manager, the new owners rather, should be getting a large chunk of this blame and not uh, Poch? Okay, so basically uh, what's happening with, um, with Chelsea is what happens when you when you're looking for miracle workers, right? And like I said, concerning a different scenario a while back, there's a reason why I've been waiting for Jesus for 2,000 years. There's a reason why um, Jesus turned water to wine only once. There's a reason why Jesus walked on water only once. You will not always find miracles, right? In fact, the what's more likely to happen is that you fail in an attempt to perform a miracle. You are only going to succeed once out of maybe a thousand times. Or that's why they're called miracles. 
right? Um, Pochettino is very lucky <laughs> that he has uh, Quentin back with previous jobs and, and and all of that. If not, everybody would have just called him maybe um, a fraud business manager or all those things that people always call coaches that are not are not performing. But I I think just have to go back to the drawing board. Um, uh, like Shola famously said <laughs> at the beginning of the show, when you bring too many uh, cooks, uh, something is going to be wrong with Joseph eventually. Um, I, I, I think that there was no direction with which Chelsea bought um, a lot of players. Um, I think today is even one of the few times where you see uh, players playing in a natural position, for lack of a better word. Um, sometimes you see Cole Wheeler left back, you see Disasia right back. Uh, I think for the second half, um, last week against Liverpool, Badashilo was left back. Sometimes you see um, Enzo behind the striker. Funny things here and there, right? It's almost like they just got a couple of players together and just um, put everybody and just expect, expect the best. And I mean, it's even made worse by the fact that a lot of these players were even got before the Pochettino signing. So it's not like it's a, it was towards a particular direction out of that. So it was just mostly, you know what, let's look around and see one manager can get the the best out of this team. Um, I, I think that what Chelsea should just do is go back to the drawing board, um, decide on the direction that they want to go with these players because they've already made their bet, so they definitely have to lie on it. Uh, they've gotten a lot of these players on six, seven-year deals, so they cannot exactly um, get rid of them. Do you understand? So it's more of, okay, how do we want to play? What do we want to do with them? Which of them do we trust? Do we even need to cut our losses on some of them and, and all of that, right? When you do your strategy, that's the heavy lifting. Then you can now decide and say, oh, you know what? I do even want this manager as well. I want to try, I want to do my rebuilding process with a, a different manager and all of that. But like, um, Sly, yeah? You said Sly. So like, yeah, yeah. Um, Sly, 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 like, like I said, it's, I don't think anybody will praise um, Pochettino for his chill assistant, right? So you're more likely to find good things about the sports thing, the Southampton thing. As, as far as, I mean, for when he left sports, a lot of people admit us about how he did not win anything and, and mm. all of that. Went to PSG, won um, the league title, he got to Champions League semi final, ETC, 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 right? So it's not, it's not. It's Chelsea work that's speaking for him in terms of people rating him. Mm. It's more of okay, he has done good things before, so we hope or we think that he can also do good things. And you know, and you'll be surprised. I mean, you know, like when I was talking about Formula One at the beginning, you only got in as much as you can be a good driver, you also need a good car as well. You'd be very surprised that Pochettino will leave the Chelsea job, get another job, and start doing very well there again. And and all of that. I mean, if I was a manager, I would flee from the Chelsea job. Definitely, I will not want to be anywhere around Stamford Bridge right now. It's probably somebody that is uh, granted a huge um, paycheck if the if he gets sacked, that will take that will take the job. But they definitely need <laughs> they definitely need to go back to the But <laughs> I saw a tweet earlier in the day of one of my um, classmates in uni. It was at Stamford Bridge today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope he's listening. <laughs> I hope he listens to this when it comes out. <laughs> I, I mean, just the situation is so bad that I, I can't even say that it's the one that took bad luck there because, I mean, 
They don't even win that oh, in no. the first place. So uh, no. like, can, yeah, we can't blame it on whoever that is. This has been going on for for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's a full. They have to do full, full. Uh, it, it's a full strategy change and and all of that. Right? They have. They definitely have to go back back to the drawing board and think very well before making um, knee-jerk reactions because it's knee-jerk reactions that got them here in the first place. Alright, uh, speaking of uh, Pochettino, I, um, he's obviously in the hot seat right now, but let's talk about three other managers that are in the hot seat. Uh, first off, Chris Wilder for Sheffield United. He just got the job um, a few months ago. Two wins and seven losses in 11 games since uh, he was hired. Uh, one of them in the league, one winning the FA Cup, and of course, yeah, they're out of the FA Cup. Uh, they're bottom of the league right now, and there's no survival hope on the horizon. Uh, Bio, a few words on Chris Wilder's situation. Yeah, yeah. so just like I mentioned earlier, I think Sheffield United are as good as God. Um, I guess it was a nice kick for him uh, to come back to the Premier League after his spell with Middlesbrough, which didn't end so well. Um yeah, so for to all instance and purposes, they are, they are dead and buried. I, I don't particularly see that replacing him now, which would be which would be their second their second ma- managerial change of the season already. I don't think it will it will much benefit them. I think you know this this uh, this Sheffield United team are going to get relegated either way. I, I don't think there's there's much anybody can do about it. So yeah. Uh, so I don't know. And the last time I made a prediction on how it seemed we are going to stick with the coach till the end of this season, <laughs> the very next day, the very before next day, before we are done it, before we are done it, let's another manager, big. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I think that that the logical thing that would have been the logical thing to do, but uh, you know. Uh, We'll just we'll just see how it plays out, but yeah, I don't think it makes any difference one way or the other whether he stays or goes. Another manager that is on the hot seat, Alessio Dionisi for Sassuolo. Um, he's been in charge since 2021, um, and he hasn't made it to the top ten since taking charge of the team. Unlike Roberto De Zerbi, who did it on multiple occasions while he was in charge. Um, they've lost 13 games this season. The second most after bottom of the table, Salernitana, and they are just one point above the drop zone. Uh, they've also lost eight games in their last ten matches, and one of those was in the Coppa di- Coppa Italia, where of course they are knocked out. So it's, it's a huge, it's a bad, very very bad season for Sassuolo. But I know they are more careful in their approach to things. They don't make rash decisions. It's very possible that they stick to stick with him. To the end of the season for letting him go but i believe with their form right now they are nearing their relegation zone they are like i said just one point about the relegation zone and it's very possible that they will let go of him before the season um and uh last manager on the hot seat for us kike sanchez flores for sevilla and i know he just got there but sevilla they've showed that they have no patience this season um he's their third manager already and that's not counting the interims. And in fact, in the last ten years, they've they've had thirteen full-time managers. Uh, Flores has just one win in six games since taking the job, and he's already out of the Copa del Rey. Uh, is this someone who you expect to be here in, say, two months' time? 
Definitely not. I mean, the, the, the team is already, um, um, what's that word again? Is it discombobulating? The players are leaving. So I've seen that Rakitic has gone. I've seen that um, suspensions here and there. You know, even in the summer, they lost a couple of players as well. So um, it's not, looking at them on paper, it's not even a team that you think will last long term. So it's no surprise that the manager will, will, will be there a long time. Uh, it's one of those, um, you know, that thing you always see about um, cycles, NBA teams. Oh yeah, mm. that that's exactly what it looks like. They've done their whole think ten year Europa League cycle and, and and all of that. So they have to. Most of these guys are old. Most of these guys are done, dusted. Sometimes you look at their lineups and you cannot even recognize um, their lineup from two years ago. So it's like mostly brand new score you see players like um the 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 the, the, the faces that you recognize players like navas players like ramos win and ideal world both of them should be retired by now and and all of that so it doesn't look like it's going to get better for them and more often than not managers always keep good it's easier to sack one person than to sack squad of 30 ish and all so i, I don't see him here in two months now yeah, I was a little surprised uh, that they had, you know, they just signed Hannibal from Manchester United and already. Yeah, and they say it's not, game. it's not going to play again. And, and yeah, there's really that. In that fact, the, the the club chairman, I think, also had to even step in and like, yeah, you have to play this guy. We just spent a lot of money on him. Uh, anyway, this is um, this is ten forty two. The Inter Juventus game just finished one nil to Inter. They move four points above Juventus with one game in hand. That's good. It seems like is going to is heading to Milan, but to the blue half of of Milan. Um, last segment for for the first part of the show. Just some brief talking points. Thomas Müller has reached 50 wins for Bayern. First player to do so. Congrats to him. Kylian Mbappe. There are reports that he has finally chosen Real Madrid. 500 wins, you mean? 500 wins. What did I say? You said 50. <laughs> oh my goodness. 500 wins for, for Thomas Müller. Apologies. Uh, Kylian Mbappe. Uh, he has chosen Real Madrid. By my calculations, this is the 732nd time he has announced that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if it's true, good for them. If it's not, um, well, I don't know what to say about that. It seems like we've covered that over and over again. Um, Jordan Ibe, or Jordan Ibe, like he likes to call himself. Um, he was, he's back playing. He debuted for uh, National League side. I think Epsfleet United. I believe they're the sixth year. In the sixth year, I mean, I, haven't, I didn't know about this, but he's been suffering a lot of depression and it's caused him to stay away from football for a very long time. And now he's back playing. Uh, I know it's a huge drop from the Premier League to the sixth year, but I mean, he's back doing what he loves. He's survived the depression, and I mean, big props to him. It takes a lot of courage to uh, bounce back that way, and good luck to him. Like I said, last yeah, good, good good luck to. Sorry, I, I, I just want to chip in about this. Um, okay, Jordan, okay, go ahead. Jordan, everything. So I, I'd seen a um, couple of um, digs and swipes at him saying that especially from nigeria you know how people can be now oh yeah people saying oh yeah he chose nigeria over england he chose england over nigeria so yeah whatever happens to him is fully deserved and and all of that so here's the thing right growing up um myself and i know a lot of people 
thought they were going to become footballers, right? Um, a lot of us played ball at amateur and semi-pro levels, and and all of that. And we know um, the hard work it takes to become a pro, right? Yeah. Um, for a lot of us, the level that Jordan eBay is playing at right now, which is national league level, is even a level that a lot of us will still aspire to be. So it's not like he's left with nothing, right? If you consider what he's been through in terms of personal um, travels and, and all of that, I think it's big props to him that even came back to the field, right? Um, it's not every day you see people go through stuff and come out of it. Um, is it in one piece and all of that? And he's still very young. I think he's 27, 28. I, I, I'm not exactly sure about that. But if you're a footballer, you're a footballer, right? It just needs a couple of good performances. Somebody else can pick, even if it's championship level, they go level. I really don't see the point of throwing jabs at somebody that is already already on the floor. We've seen a lot of players that pick Nigeria in the same in the same um, lights that people are mocking him for, and nothing would happen with Akara. We've seen people that picked England, players like Bukayo Saka, and they're still killing it there and, and, and all of that. So I just feel like, I mean, obviously there's banter, but there are some things that we should not joke about. That's, that's just my two cents. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll file out, I'll file all those disco- all those um, talks on the what bio famously terms as unintelligent discourse. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, uh, this is just something there. You know, when players go through stuff like this, we just assume it's for we automatically assume it's for a lack of of trying, it's laziness. I mean, we've said the same about Jesse Lingard, uh, you know, players like that. But these guys are humans at the end of the day. They are things they go through. I know money might make things easier. So when they are going through some, you know, challenges in their life, the money that they've acquired might be able to help them. But at the end of the day, like I said, they are humans. They go through, they have feelings. These feelings can be hurt. They have challenges. And depression is real, you know. Um, not everyone gets to come out at the end of it. And like you said, Dotun, um, for, for him to come out of it and have that boldness to be able to go back to doing what he loves, six tiers below where the level that we knew him to be at, um, it takes a lot of boldness. It takes a lot of courage. And honestly, I'm rooting for him. I, I don't believe this has anything to do with uh, choosing. A, I think, like I said, it's just unintelligent discourse. There's no need um, giving him more airtime. Uh, last, Harvey Renard, he's close to agreeing a deal to become Egypt's new coach. Of course, we know um, he famously won the Nations Cup with uh, two different teams. Zambia. Uh, Zambia Nantes. in 20, 20, 2012, right? And Ivory Coast in 2015, yeah. So uh, the Egyptians, they've turned to him after yet another poor outing. And, you know, speaking of him and taking up the... the the coaching job we'll take a break here and when we return we'll talk more about the afcon and the super eagles who will be in the semi-finals Welcome to Birdwatch Part 2 of the Clean Tigers Podcast. On Birdwatch, we talk about our favorite birds, Super Eagles, Super Falcons, as well as all things Nigerian football. In the Nigerian football scene, we had Asisat sealing her move to Bay FC in the United States. We talked about her leaving and on the last episode and this past week, she just made the move formal. 
Um, Nathan Teller also scored twice in the 2 0 win for Bale Vakusen. Uh, They've kept up. They've, I mean, they've, they've handled the injuries to a few key players very well. And right now, they still maintain their lead in the Bundesliga. But of course, the big talking point is Nigeria's big win over Angola. Nigeria won, Angola zero. Good opportunity. A little bit of space. Moses Simon down the left hand side. Can he get a shot in? Squares it. It's in the back of the net. Nigeria. It's Lugman. Lugman's done it. He's got that goal. Beautiful work from the wingers. Nigeria take the lead. Um, Ademola Lukman was once again the hero in the attacking third with his goal. It was enough for us to get to our 16th semi-final. I didn't know we had made that many semi-finals, but our 16th semi-final. But that's a lot. Uh, yeah, I was, so the, for me, I feel like it's a very poor return. Uh, well, besides this, obviously. So 15 previous semi-finals and just three titles to show for it. That's, that's a poor return. It feels like we are due one. Anyway, does it, do you feel it's coming home right now? This title, do you feel it's coming home? So, so first, I also love our real match. They just considered 94 minutes. Uh, that's my degree. Um, I can't help but dream. You know, where I, I was very, very uh, unimpressed by our form going into the Nations Cup. Um, yeah, system, right. style, mm. tactics, everything. Because then it goes in our last five games before the Nations Cup. We considered only one in five at the Nations Cup. We... Oh, we prided ourselves as um, with our attack as the best part of our team going into the Nations Cup. We got to the Nations Cup, our defense is the best part of our team. We made um, noise about how certain people um, don't is it give their best and give their all and all of that. Then we get to the AFCON and those people are the ones that put their bodies on the line. Um, we've said how we don't exactly have a goalkeeper. We get to the AFCON and our goalkeeper is one of the best in tournaments. Everything that mm. we've pointed at as quote-unquote bad, as um, experienced or undergone and like a massive um, improvement in the AFCON. So it's more of those, one of those um, I can't help but dream. Um, we have just two games to go. We go to play South Africa and one of the Ivory Coast at DRC in the final if we make it. Right. Um, uh, I... I I think in as much as South Africa is a big animal people that came red, I kind of pleased with the, the opposition and it's because of two reasons. So um even when I play ball, I don't like to play against people that are free, that are mobile and all of that. I rather play a very good team that has very good players. I know that I'm going to get into match serious, um, straightforward, have one on one duels and all of that. Not all these underdogs that know how to play, but that's why I was very, very weary of uh, of Angola. Yeah, um, that's why I, I think South Africa is just like us. They are still at the back, they have good goalkeeper, they have good defenses, and they are kind of relying on individual brilliance up front to, to get, help them win games. Now, I think we have a better defense, I think we have a better goalkeeper, I think we have a better, I think we have better individual players as well. So it's more of if we come up to the party. Don't let Omar Takupa hear you. <laughs> um, um, if I say what I want to say about that guy, they will pack our podcast. I'll trust it. <laughs> I, 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 I think my first. Uh, okay, so this is just this is inside just right. So I think yeah, my first encounter, my first encounter with Omar was in person. So there's this radio show that we used to do a while back at uh, Top Radio. This was 2014. 
So it was around that period of uh, yeah, to rebuild the kick, and we got on radio. Uh, I think as the first time of going on air to radio. So Omar um, says something about how City uh, just called them a couple of irresponsible names and called them out and dragged them and said if it was a white player they would have bought kicks they would have done this and they're like, like oh okay sorry please i have a question Omar. so a lot of city, definitely city players celebrate their birthdays all the time and all of that do you know anybody that's been giving a cake like no boys assuming like, why are you assuming that they're giving players cake you're making a big deal out of nothing so i went there straight for work and Omar says hey 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 a guy with very very condescending to us like hey 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 a guy with the jacket and all of that we're football analysts here we know what we are saying and i was like Man City is a team that has a proper structure, right? If you take a year away from that team, they'll buy somebody else. And it's like, who do I think that they can buy that replace him? I'm like, oh, okay. Modric is just finding his feet at Madrid. If Man City throw money at him, they can get him. There's also Tony Cruz that's going to move from Bayern Munich at the end of season. People can buy him. Out. Well, and from 2014 to date, if you look at Cruz and Modric's career trajectory, <laughs> compared to your I just end up everybody there. I just end up laughing and, and, and all of that. But, Omar just wants people to know that he has access, but story for another day. Anyway, as I was saying, um, I yeah, will leave this part on the pod or we cutting it down. <laughs> you can, I mean, <laughs> anyone you want to do. <laughs> so, um, as I was saying, um, um, we, we have a good, we have a very, very good team, and there's this inferiority complex that comes into play mm. whenever we play um, South Africa from the South African's point of view, where we always be the nation's club. Um, off the top of my head, I know we beat them in semi-final in 2000. I know we beat them in the round of 16 in 2019. No, in the quarter-final, it was Cameroon we beat in the round of 16 2019. So we beat South Africa in the quarter-final in 2019 as as well. So even the the only one, the, the one time that South Africa won the Nations Cup is because we were not there, right? I think that upstairs, they know that we're a better football nation than, than us. So it just gives me little bits of worry you know i said against angola that we prefer to play in behind teams and that's exactly how we score our goal if we have to play in front of a team it might give us a bit of trouble because we don't exactly know how to break teams down and and all of that i think that south africa is going to go defensive i think they're going to set up in a good block i think they are going to look to play the nigerian way against against us and, and all of that so i just think that um like I said before the Angola game as well, nobody's in this stage of this competition by um, luck or by fluke or by chance. I think everybody merits their spot so far. So it's important that number one, we don't underrate any opponent. And number two, it's important to give it uh, our best. We have um, South African players have 30 minutes extra on their legs. And we also have one day's rest ahead of them. So um, I think it would be good for us to start positive it would be good for us to start strong and if possible go ahead very early that way we will destroy their low block in the sense that they have to come out and play ball since they are behind yeah so i i again i can't help but dream i think that in the midst of plenty things going on in this country i think it will be much needed relief if we can go on to to lift the cup (laughs) i saw (laughs) i saw something very interesting about people talking about um 
Poseros contract saying that it might be renewed, it might be this. And I'm like, hmm. wait, 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 oh. let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's, let's, let's finish, let's, let's finish the half conference. <laughs> let's stay right. focused, please. I mean, it's it's props to him for certain things that I've mentioned multiple times and all of that, but the most important thing here is um to stay focused, um, to finish the job and uh, and most importantly to bring gold home. Uh, uh, Bio, there's uh, one of our listeners who isn't on social media exactly. Um, I, 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 and he's your namesake. Um, and I knew him, or I've known him since my when I was in Abuja. So he buzzed me after the game, and I was like, uh, I should ask his namesake. That's you, obviously. I should ask his namesake if he has forgiven Moses Simon after the assist. So Bio, one, have you have you forgiven Moses Simon? Two. Did you see anything at all in that win that gave you cause for concern heading into the semifinals, despite the good mood we had and everything? So, you know, even if you hadn't asked me about Moses Simon, I was going to talk about him. Because that's my guy, you know. I never <laughs> doubted it. <laughs> yeah, well... Um, yeah, so... Like I said, uh, props to him for, for the assist. I think um, Dotsu pointed out something, you know, that, that is worth taking note of during the last episode as well is, you know, how how much he contributes defensively, you know, and keeping the shape of the team and all that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, can't, I can't hit on him. Like, it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, like he saw, he saw the pass. He executed the pass, and it was a lovely finish from um, Ademola Lukman. So yeah, uh, appreciate Moses Simon for that. Um, in terms of the general performance, I think the one thing that all of us would agree is encouraging has been our, dis- our defensive performances. Uh, in most cases, we've we've limited the opposition to very few shots, very few shots on our goal. I think in this game, um, Angola had. You know, they had a shot from within the box that, you know, hit, hit the post and, and came back out. But I think other than that, uh, we were largely fine. Um, Shemi Ajaya and Truste Kong have, <clears throat> have been good. Calvin Bassi has been, has done well as well. Or, you know, like I said, one of our top three performers. Um, I think in, of the teams left, of the teams left in this competition, right, um, other than say Ivory Coast, I think we have, I think we have in terms of individual quality, we're up there, right? We we have nothing to envy anybody for, um, you know. So I think if if we can continue to keep it tight at the back, right, as we have done in the last few games, I think we'll always have a chance. We'll always have a chance of uh, knocking that, landing that, landing that one punch. That you know that will see out the opposition um, against South Africa. Well, I I think I think that would also come for again, right? In terms of our in terms of our quality, um, is Osime hasn't clicked yet in this tournament because we simply haven't we simply haven't provided that we haven't been able to provide that quality of chance for him. Um, well. Not not consistently anyway. Just like I said, we don't particularly sustain. We don't particularly sustain pressure in the final third. Uh, 
we try to hit the opposition on quick breaks and well that's that's part of the plan but i guess that there's a trade-off there's a trade-off in these things um hopefully again we can maintain our defensive consistency against south africa and um, you know see ourselves through obviously you don't want to go to penalty shootouts uh against the keeper that is capable of saving four plus spot kicks in in a shootout um so hopefully uh we can find the right balance as well between keeping it safe at the back and um having enough having enough in attack to win the game in 90 minutes hopefully yeah okay um on to other afghan updates i mean just to move away briefly from nigeria before we preview the game against south africa um so this past round of course like we all know he had his own fair share of drama even though it didn't have as many goals <laughs> as the previous episode at uh, the previous um rounds uh, so first of what struck me in the quarterfinals was that the eight teams that made it to the quarterfinal of the 2021 edition all failed to make it to the quarterfinal this time around which i read was the first time in a major international tournament uh, i mean it's, it's just so crazy and then the second one is that all six group winners from this edition they all failed to make it to the semis uh so obviously second place finishes and in the case of um ivory coast third place they are the ones that are making the semi-final so i just it's just a very crazy um afghan edition anyway uh besides nigeria doesn't which team which semi-finalist has impressed you the most which of the other three has impressed you the most so far with it so it depends on what you're talking about i think in terms of the quality of football that they've played mm, so just to get this far which team to has get the, so 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 to mm. get this far it's hard to look past Ivory Coast, considering the fact that they were the last um, out of the four, um, the four third team, the the best um, third place finished. In, um, they were the fourth out of the four that qualified. So I mean, it took um, I think Mozambique's um, late equalizer against Ghana for for them to qualify. So for them to beat first Senegal and secondly Mali, Mali beat ten men, right? So it's. Um, it's very, very, very impressive. Uh, I thought that uh, when we were joining against Senegal, I was like, so why do you qualify from the group stage if you're going to meet Senegal next? You're going home. Then they go past Senegal. Then they're like, oh, you're meeting Mali. You're going home too. Then they go play a center in the first half and all of that. And they managed to equalize yeah. in the 90th minute. Got, got to the track. They managed to win it all in the 120th minute as well. So uh, I think it's, it's hard to look beyond every course. But in terms of pre-tournament um, expectations and all of that, right? I definitely didn't see um, both DRC and South Africa coming this far. Both of them have shown to be they shown themselves to be cohesive units, proper cohesive units. Um, Congo have um, mix and match of foreign based players. You have players like um, you have Misa. You have players like Cedric Pekambu. You have players like Maswaku. You have Chance Mbemba. and all of that. And you see them contributing and chipping in their bit here, here and there. So it's um, they, they they got through um, tricky opponents in. Um, in Egypt, I think they played Egypt in round of 16, and they played um, Guinea as well in the quarterfinals. So both of them are tricky opponents, and they also had a tricky group as well. So it's proper, a proper um, thumbs up to them. I, I I feel like if we play, okay, let me not get ahead of myself and see <laughs> what will happen if we get to the final. Of the, let's just focus on the job ahead. Um, 
unfortunately there's no episode before the final so so we'll just have to make through it without i just feel like um because of the fact that we're beating ivory coast in the dominant performance i don't know trying to like i've gotten one over them mentally and psychologically as well so it'll be easier to play them in the final but who knows football is a very 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 funny sport so um, we can get there that day and see a different ivory coast team and, and whatever but i think that like i said all four teams have done very well to be at this stage, but um, in terms of answering your question, it's very hard to look past that request. How about you, Bio? Which team has impressed you the most? Um, I wouldn't particularly say I've been impressed by the request. Uh, I think I've liked what I've seen from Congo um, of teams of teams left in the tournament. Um, other than that, of teams outside, I think I, I also liked Angola as well. I think I mentioned I mentioned last week, although they didn't show that when they played against us. So I think I mentioned last week how I, I was impressed with uh, the way they played around the box, the, the type of chances they were able to create. In an just, where, no, no, just the teams left right now. Oh, just the teams left. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I wouldn't say I've been. I, I wouldn't. So, like I said, I don't say I've been particularly impressed by Ivory Coast because I think they've they've largely performed within within the talent that we have. Um, mm. But I think of the teams left, um, Congo has to be the one. Congo has to be the one that you know uh, have have left me pleasantly surprised with how far they've been able to come. Yeah, same here as well. Um, I mean, I can see. I, I, like you said, um, the Ivory Coast team is very talented. In fact, it would have been a disaster if they had been knocked out before the semis. But I think going, getting as far as semis is what I would have expected. You know, not just the, not just considering their talent, but considering the home advantage. So I know they they did well to get out of the hole that they dug themselves in. But yeah, props to them. Um, Congo has been impressive as well. Um, I hated the fact that they got to the knockout stage without winning a single group stage game. That, that fact just irritated me. Uh, but I think they've done well for themselves to eliminate Egypt and then to beat... Uh, I mean, to score three goals in the quarterfinals. I didn't see them scoring three goals. They were the only side that I thought wasn't going to get um, a goal in the quarterfinal and they ended up scoring three. So, I mean, uh, they proved me wrong there. So, Props to them, but this South Africa team, I think when you look at what they've been able to build in terms of the team structure, the so the team has no player playing outside Europe, correct me if I'm wrong, but no player playing outside Europe, uh, made up largely of the guys playing in the PSL, their domestic league, and I believe 14 players from the Mamelodi Sundowns. So that's a huge plus for not just this, the national team, but it just shows how far ahead the growth of the domestic league is compared to others in fact this is something i would have expected from tanzania because i know the tanzanian league is also a league that has grown in recent years and probably in the next in a few afghan editions we'll see the rise of tanzania uh but yeah i mean south africa i've been impressed with them for that fact and if you remember those egyptian teams the teams that won the tripit in the late 2000s uh there are teams that are made up largely of domestic players and they're able to just leverage the fact that these guys already have that chemistry they're used to traveling 
um, playing intercontinental football, uh, sorry, playing continental football and everything, they were able to leverage that and uh, they translated that into success for the national team. And I can see South Africa doing the same here. Now, obviously, they will have to go through us, and I don't wish them well, but from a neutral standpoint, it's hard not to, um, uh, not to admire what they're doing in terms of uh, growing their league and translating that league into success for the national team. I really appreciate what they're doing. And probably just transitioning into the preview for um, the game, the semi-final game with Nigeria, I think one of the things that even makes them very dangerous is the fact that of the teams remaining, they are the only side that has a manager that has won the AFCON before. So Hugo Bruce, he has won it. He won it with Cameroon back in, uh, when was it, 2019, right? When, when did he win it? Uh, yeah, 2019. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, so he has that experience. Obviously, he has managed everywhere, Europe, everything. In fact, I didn't know this, but he was the guy that gave Omokachi his debut at Club Bruge. And remember, Omokachi was the guy that scored the first ever Champions League when he got rebranded from the European Cup to the yep. Champions League. So I didn't know it was when uh, Omokachi was uh, talking about it in one of these games that, um, that I knew that. So anyway, this is someone who has been coaching for a very long time. He's very experienced. And like I said, he has, he has that continental success at the AFCON. So um, when you when you when you uh, combine that with the way they are defending, it makes them very very difficult for the Nigeria. I don't think we are going to have that easy ride that we have. Uh, like Dotu pointed out, they have the same quality. They have similar qualities to us. You know, a sturdy defense, and they look to hit you on the break, score one goal, and then they lock up that defense. And like Bayo, you pointed out, it's not going to be. Nobody wants to get to a penalty shootout against a, a goalkeeper that can save. Uh, for penalties. So yeah, um, just like I said, just moving on to the preview for the game against South Africa. Uh, what are your expectations for this game? How do you think we should approach it? Do you think there should be anything that? Do you think there's anything that needs to be tweaked ahead of this game? Um, okay, so I, I think we just have. We, so far, so good. We've not seen our plan B. Right? I think that plan B has to be um, in the cooler. Just keep it in microwave. We might, we might not need to start the microwave or we might need to start the microwave depending right um i've always said that if we go behind in this tournament we might be in trouble because um our players we don't exactly have a player um it can maybe apart from Lukman anyway but that it's um it's calm and composed enough to pick a rock most of the players mm -hmm. that we have are going to badge the door down and add all of that right so if you're going to play in front of a team when you're looking for a goal a team that wants to waste time, that wants uh, to employ delay tactics and all of that, you probably need players like maybe Kenichi Anacho, maybe players, I, I, I'm not sure about his fitness, uh, the state of his fitness at the moment, players like maybe Chukwese, um, his form is not the best at the moment also, and, and all of that. I mean, it helps that we have um, Calvin Bassi that's been okay with crosses, all I know, as well. Besides, uh, has been disappointing in the final third, but um, we've seen for Porto, we know that sometimes he can get these crosses in and, and all of that. Right? So, if we go behind, we must have a clear contingency plan. We, I mean, obviously, we hope that our plan A works in the sense that um, attacking players take the lead, take initiative going front and all of that. But in, the, in an event where it doesn't work, I hope that the plan B is uh, solid as well. Um, I did a little bit of, I mean, a lot of it fell on my lap. 
but I also had to go and do a little bit of um, research around there. So, um, you know, it's interesting that um, Stanley Wabali plays in South Africa. So he's well known mm, sure, among sure, the sure. South African uh-huh. players as well. Uh, he's also yeah. well known that he's a very good penalty stopper as well, right from his time in the NPFL as well as in South Africa. So, um, in as much as South African players will have gotten a lot of confidence by the fact that their goalkeeper saved four penalties out of five, those that know one but you know that, oh, okay, if this leads to penalties. I mean, their penalties were not convincing as well. They managed to score just two, I think, out of four. And, and all of that so it's worst penalty um, shooter that i've seen worst <laughs> worst <laughs> yeah so it's yeah. neither it's neither here nor nor there and, and all of that so i'm hoping that we exert a little bit of control on the game right um this is semi-final stage we've really rotated our squads a lot of i think apart from the third game against them um, guinea bissau we have we've had almost um of the same lineup in yeah, in most I'm of these games, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Somebody brought up a suggestion and says, "Oh, okay. How about we, <clears throat> how about we, um, we bench uh, Moses Simon and put in uh, Joseph Alassane? So it looks like Alassane and Onyeka with Iwobi, Lukman, and Osimhen. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's not bad, especially considering the fact that um, on the break later on in the game you will need fresh legs and fresh leg means players like." Simon Moses, players like Simon Chukwese, players like, you know, all those other guys. But again, I feel like our best bet is to start properly. It starts very, very attack-minded and, and all of that. And if we go in front, then we can make all these subs to shut up, shut up, back. Okay. Uh, Bio, just last question before we round up this show. Um, do you think a lack of clinical finishing is a worry against a team that has like we've said, equally being as impressive as us. And we know that they are not going to give up lots of chances like the teams that we've encountered in the past. Do you think this lack of clinical finishing is a worry? Um, it's less so the finishing than being able to generate a significant or, you know, an acceptable number of like high quality chances. Um, so, for example, yes, we do generate high quality chances, mainly on the transition, right? But if you're playing a team that is also going to be as defensively resolute as South Africa, you may not necessarily get, you may not be, you may not necessarily be able to generate chances in in that same way, right? So, I also like I want to see some variety in our game in terms of being able to hold on to the ball and pick our moments, right, uh, mm. from time to time. Yes, it's good to be defensively solid. Um, we have that threat on the counter-attacks with our front three, right, and it's something that we should definitely use um, when the opportunity presents itself. But I think we, I just think we need to be a bit more cute. We need to be a bit more clever, right? Um, also in terms, because I think we've largely, we've like, the games we've played, I think the Angola game, uh, we had slightly less possession and slightly less possession of the ball. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, G- given the way we've, given how we've defended, right, I don't know. It's not clear, you know, how much South Africa can hurt us, but I just believe that let's have, you should always, like Dr. said, in terms of a plan B, just have a bit more variety to the game at some point. We're getting to the semi-finals now. I think we've already played five games in this tournament. 
at some point teams are going to catch on to you know how 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 you tend to hurt others and, and things like that so I, I think i mentioned i mentioned last week how it would have been nice to have someone like kelechi who is able to play between the lines um Dotson said mentioned something like that as well now with, with with the suggestion that we might want to play would be further forward and bring in alasan yusuf um and that if if there's one thing i would like to see in south africa game and put it uh, you know, as, as we look to a potential final, you just you just need to have a bit more variety. Not be so, don't be so direct all the time, right? We and we have we have players, we have players to do this. Uh, you have a demolition. He's not just like a counter attack or transition merchant. He's very good on the ball. I, I, I've talked about how good he has been in terms of executing his actions in the final third during this tournament, right? We have Victor Simen who doesn't necessarily need to be involved to finish off chances right but you need to make sure that you're creating the right type of chance for him so um that that's what that's that's what i would like to see um overall and i think that that's what we should be trying to work on if we're you know if we're going to make it past the semis and play the final at some point the way the, the way tournaments are set up is that you largely do not you largely do not get it all your own way, right? There has to be some measure of adaptation at some point during the tournament. We are going to go all the way. Um, anyway, um, the next time you hear from, from us listeners, uh, Nigeria would have played two games. Best case scenario, will have won the semi-finals and of course be crowned champions of Africa in the finals. Worst case scenario, I don't want to say, but worst case scenario, we'll lose the semis and, you know, get to the third place or get to the finals and lose that. But I, I don't want to even think of that. Uh, hopefully it's the best case scenario. So the next time you hear from us, we'll be celebrating um, our fourth title, which, I mean, like I said, if you get to the semi-final 16 times, at least, at least we should come back with uh, more trophies than three. Um, anyway, that's going to be it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Bio. Thanks to Dotun. This is, um, this is almost 11.30 Sunday evening. We've just seen Real Madrid draw with Atletico Madrid 1-1 and Inter Milan beat Juventus 1-0 in the Derby Italia. Anyway, uh, follow us on all social media platforms at Clean Tacos Pod to keep the conversation going and have a great week of the Super Eagles. <laughs>